You laughing at my warm-ups? Just your face. <laughs> wow. Wow. Harsh. <laughs> Truth hurts. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And tonight we're discussing chapter 10, Fool's Errand. The intro blurb of this one is speaking on a topic that we've discussed before mm -hmm. uh, in the past book. Basically that uh, how the skill was taught in coteries and how Galen messed that all up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a more in-depth look, I think, than we've seen in previous previous chapters, just of exactly what it is that Galen did wrong, because we know that he doesn't teach the skill correctly. Um, he, uh, he does. It's just the wartime version that doesn't leave right. them as skilled. Or right. But I mean, before. it's not like the he's not doing it the best way. And right. they're not walking away with real skill ability. They're yeah. just like parrots, I think Verity says at one point. Mm -hmm. um, but now we get to see all of the other things that are weird about his coterie mm -hmm. and what he's done. Yeah, at least the in book terms, this is, the I think, some of the first time we're seeing this. Right. We've discussed it a little bit before, but it, it basically goes over all of those details compiled into one thing, how... Uh, Regal was a delicate child and was judged by his mother to be too sickly to withstand the rigors of skill training, which we had a question on last episode. Right. Um, so I don't know why she would hold him out, but... I had a theory about this. So we know that um, Queen Desire, Regal's mother, and Regal share sentiments of different being bad. Mm, and maybe... And in any capacity. Skill. So I wonder if that applies to the skill. I mean, I guess she lets Galen do it, but only so that he can have a high up position in the court. I'm sure True. that is like the ends to the means there. Uh, whereas Regal's actually a prince and I'm sure she would never let her prince son sully his hands yeah, with a but also like that's known as the royal magic so right i feel like at the same time she would want him to have every single claim possible i know but i don't know i just have like a we i don't know i guess i don't know for sure but in my head could have i've been convinced too myself yeah, he could have <laughs> it just seems odd that we never see him sick later right but she yeah. could be one of those parents that like you know thinks that their kid is sick all the time mm -hmm. or like I don't know what that's called. It's like Munchausen or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, it, you know, where they like act like their kid is way worse off than they are. I don't know. So uh, it goes on to discuss that how uh, Galen's training wasn't quite complete when Solicity passed away. Mm -hmm. And some said that maybe he never had enough training to be skill master and maybe he never had enough strength in general to ever attain that title. Which we kind of know is true, that he right. was weaker uh, on the weaker side. 
but there was no one to prove it on because during peace times, skill was only taught to the royal family. And that's why no one was taught until Verity and Chivalry. Yeah. And Galen to, I guess, replace Solicity. Mm-hmm. So when he created his coterie, it was one of the things he did wrong was it became Galen's coterie, not a coterie for the royal family that was a tight-knit group among themselves, that mm. picked themselves, that had an affinity for one another, and that camaraderie lent them strength. This was Galen handpicking people to be like, oh, you're in a group now, and mm-hmm. you're all mine, instead of, you like each other, I'll train you to rely on one another, and you have a close link to the royal family. Perfect. Right. And in the past, they had one person who was the strongest or maybe just the cl- usually the closest to the royal line who yep. would um, talk directly to the king or queen. And then everyone else worked together as a group to um, get that message across. And so that one strong, strong man or woman um, would be the title holder of the coterie. Like, I think... Crossfire's coterie is yes. the one. Yep. Is the common example for mm-hmm. a lot of these... Um, Also, I just wanted to point out that they do mention here solos, which we learn more about in uh, the Tawny Man trilogy when they get back the skill scrolls. Mm -hmm. Very rarely such a one existed independent of any coterie or training, but simply as one who had such an affinity for the monarch that strength could be tapped usually by a physical touch. So solo in terms of fits there, Mm -hmm. that was Beric for a while and then Perseverance, I think, later. Or just. Perseverance might be one of them, but I know just is uh, one of Birix and Molly's sons. Mm, right. That I believe is a king's man for Dutiful. Um, but I think Perseverance is too. I'm I not th- sure about that one. I'm not sure. I know he's unaffected by skill. Right. But, yeah, I could be wrong about that. <laughs> but anyways, they uh, they detail that... You know, Galen did all of that wrong. He handpicked people and they were his. And when he died, they didn't really have a strong link to the royal family anymore. Right. And it also points out that August was the original um, strongman. The key member. Yes. Yeah. He was the uh, king's man versus or the queen's man or yes. woman. But in this time, it would be a king's man. Yeah. Um, and that he that August was reporting just as dutifully to Galen as he was to the king and king in waiting um and then with august gone and galen gone it was kind of serene yeah rose up to that right which is interesting because it it doesn't make it sound as though it's something that was like unanimously chosen by the group it was serene took the opportunity which good for her get your bag girl but (laughs) (laughs) but i mean also it just goes to show that they're not a regular coterie group. Right. They yeah. do not seem very close. Mm-hmm. And then the other members were Justin, Will, Carrad, and Burl. Mm-hmm. I want to say Carrad? Carrad? I don't want to say Carrad because it's too close to Carrot. <laughs> we carrot can. Top? <laughs> carrot Top? We'll call him Carrot Top. Justin, <laughs> Will Smith, Justin Bieber, Will Smith, Carrot, carrot top. top, and... Burl. <laughs> Sorry, Burl. All right. 
<laughs> so we dive into the chapter um, with Fitz dreaming with night eyes every night. Uh, now that he is blocking out the skill and preventing himself from dreaming of Molly, using what techniques Verity had shown him, by night he ran as a wolf. Mm-hmm. First he thought it was a dream, and he woke clear-minded and good-tempered, but uh, pretty soon he realized that he was sharing the dream with Wolf Cub, and he's right. teaching him how to hunt. Right. Well, it's but. not a dream. It is uh, Wolf Cub's reality. Yeah, but it, I mean, it yeah, fits no. his dream because it he is. is sleeping at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's where his consciousness right. goes, I guess. And this, I just, real quick kind of tangent, this is such a weird thing to me. Like, the rules of this magic, because we know at the end of last chapter, they shared a conscience conscious for hours, and it left Fitz feeling weak and groggy and just out of it. But now he shares it for eight hours while he sleeps, presumably eight hours. <laughs> and he comes, he wakes up feeling super refreshed. And I, I would think that'd be a separating of the senses, because his whole body was like into it he was doing things when they were playing in the snow and mm-hmm. this is like his body knows he's sleeping it's not confused that there's like these different senses overlapping it like the brain could interpret it as a dream right i don't know i guess it just is like such a weird thing to me that we literally the chapter before have yeah. him so groggy and then first thing this chapter is Oh, I got such a good night's sleep (laughs) after sharing consciousness. I don't know. And again, he promises himself that he would not let this joining become a full bond, which we know is self-delusion because in the future he does bond night eyes. Right. Technically, though, right now he is not bonded with night eyes. Right. Um, I think next, next chapter touches on it a little bit more, but in this one, like... He is not giving himself fully over to Night Eyes. He is refusing himself that complete trust and like mm-hmm. joining. So it cannot be a full bond at the moment. And I'm wondering if that's what Burek does too. Like with Vixen, mm-hmm. what he had, like it was one way. Vixen was like, I give you everything. Yeah. We're bonded. And Burek's like, nope, not using the wit. Doesn't ever complete that full joining. Yeah. And so like he can hear Vixen in his head all the time and stuff. And it would still destroy him if she died which happened right but he just wouldn't touch any part of that Hmm. i don't know maybe in his sleep he runs with the dogs yeah maybe and maybe uh that's why he drinks so much oh yeah to get away from it yeah odd especially because he's trapped in there He, he i guess he's not trapped in his brain but he has been cut off to the skill so yeah It says he refuses to consider what Burek would think of such a thing, of him sharing the the dreams with Night Eyes, where he would teach him to hunt. To sooner set him free, according Mm. to Fitz. Right, right. (laughs) Which is totally legit, definitely going to (laughs) happen. But one morning, he returns from an early expedition, um, I think to visit the wolf to feed him and everything. And sees two soldiers sparring, and one of them calls him over. Yes. And he recognizes the woman who called him over, and they have a little conversation about creating a new guard. Mm-hmm. 
The woman he's talking to is Whistle. She has a gap between her teeth, so I assume that is where yeah, Whistle comes from. <laughs> uh, says that as he, the other soldier, hopped, she danced back and laughed aloud, an unmistakable high-pitched whinny. <laughs> so maybe it's just for her laugh. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I guess as someone with a tooth gap, sometimes I can have a little whistle when I talk. <laughs> <laughs> so she is here and uh asking a favor of fitz and fitz is kind of confused because she isn't where she's supposed to be because she's a member of verity's guard mm-hmm. and well, she was well she was <laughs> she corrects him quickly and says that yeah i did leave but not to go far i'm part of the queen's guard now mm-hmm. vixen badge see She tugged the front of her short white jacket she wore to hold the fabric taut. Good, sensible woolen homespun, I saw, and saw, too, the embroidered, snarling white fox on a purple background. The purple matched the purple of her heavy woolen trousers. The loose pants cuff had been tucked into knee boots. Her partner's garb matched hers. Queen's guard. In light of Ketrickin's adventure, the uniform made sense. Just wanted to point out, that's the... Pretty reminiscent of what mm-hmm. Ketrickin wore yeah, that you were so angry about because it wasn't stylish at all. I don't all. know. I don't love the mental image I've created. White on purple? I, white and purple together are fine. It's just all the colorful mismatch and bells. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guard doesn't quite have bells. Right, right. No. I'm sure it looks fine. <laughs> Uh, says the smile fades a bit from Whistle's face after uh, Fitz says Verity's decided she needed a guard of her own. Very happy. Fitz was very pleased with that. Right, yeah, like, good job, Verity, you did something right. And she's like, not exactly. (laughs) Then straightened as if reporting to me. We decided she needed a Queen's guard, me and some of the others that rode with her the other day. We got to talking about everything later, about how she handled herself out there. And back here. And how she came here all alone. We talked about it then, that someone should get permission to form up a guard for her. But none of us really knew how to approach it. We knew it was needed, but no one else seemed to be paying much attention. But then last week at the gate, I heard you got pretty hot about how she'd gone out on foot and alone, and no one had her back. Well, you did. I was in the other room, and I heard. I bit back my protest, nodded curtly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like part of the thing yeah. that you mentioned last week, that he did step above himself again. Yeah. I had forgotten this little interaction, and that was the reason why they approached him for the Queen's Guard. But uh, yeah, he, he definitely played the part of a, of a royal prince yeah. or a royal retainer or something, rather than right. just the lowly keep boy that <laughs> wants to avoid notice. Right. No. And, you know, having been caught kind of in this weird space of uh, Fitz overstepping his bounds in some ways, he realizes that Burek was right. I have to be careful what I'm doing at mm-hmm. all times because other people, I don't always know who's listening and other people are going to catch on. And I mean, here we see she straightened up like she was giving a report to him. So he's obviously gained some level of respect. Yeah. And also probably she respects him for dressing down the soldiers at the gate. If she decided she needed to be part of the Queen's Guard, she's like, (laughs) 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> About time one of the royals said something. <laughs> no, so so she keeps going to talk with Fitz about how, you know, it's kind of a good thing that they're doing this because a, it's basically a bunch of old people in Verity's guard. And because it has been a time of peace up until now, nobody's really left and they're kind of getting fat and lazy and there's <laughs> no room for promotions anymore. So really this shakes it up and brings newcomers in, which will mm-hmm. give a little bit more oomph <laughs> to yeah. both guards. Let the uh, the older people who have been there for a while train up again and hone their skills mm-hmm. while they help the newcomers get better. Right. And which, it you know gives promotions to people who needed it. And... Which is true and it's a good... Yeah. It's good that they're doing this. Yeah, yeah. And the favor that she wants is to explain this to Verity because the guards kind of just did this on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, well, we need someone to tell Verity <laughs> that the queen needed a guard and we did it. <laughs> yeah. And Fitz is like, this walks close to disloyalty. Soldiers of Verity's own guard setting aside his colors to take on his queen's. Some might see it that way. Some might speak it that way. Her eyes met mine squarely, and the smile was gone from her face. But you know it is not. It's a needed thing. Your chivalry would have seen it, would have had a guard for her before she had even arrived here. But King in waiting Verity, well, this is no disloyalty to him. We've served him well because we love him, still do. This is those who've always watched his back. Falling back and reforming to watch his back even better. That's all. He's got a good queen is what we think. We don't want to see him lose her. That was all. We don't think any less of our king in waiting. You know that. I did. But still. It's, uh... It's another one of those little inserted comments that, like... Chivalry would have had this all ready for her. He would have seen Uh the need for it. We love Verity, but we see the need for it and we're going to do it because we like her, too. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I mean, it's kind of an easy choice. You have a leader who isn't to their eyes, isn't doing anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is skilling to protect them, but none of them understand what that means or what that takes from him. So he's sitting up in a tower all day. Well, during the winter, at least, he's visible and seen doing things. He's down at the the shipwrights' sheds and stuff. But But in general, yes. He's not really, before this, hasn't been addressing the real problem. Right. No real statements had been made from the royal family. And then in comes this queen who says, hey, here's a problem. We're going to face it head on. I'm going to tell you what to do, and we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially in a time with this much turmoil, you would crave that almost. And so I don't blame his guard for saying, Hey, maybe we should uh, protect her. (laughs) Right. Which they're not. I mean, I do believe that this is coming out of a loving place and that they do still care about Verity. Yeah. But one of the downsides of Ketrickin's big stance is kind of showing everyone else the mirror Mm -hmm. of what chivalry could have been right. and what Verity is currently. Yeah. Which yeah. is a little sad. Fitz agrees to bring it to canon waiting Verity and to the queen if he approves this. And Whistle flashed her smile again. We knew you'd do it for us. Thanks, Fitz. <laughs> and 
I thought that just that little line is really cool because reading in between the lines there, it's it shows their actual relationship that mm-hmm. that Fitz has with all the guards. He was raised in the kitchen, right. in the guards room. He was, you know, just around those people all the time. And he does have a good relationship with them. And that's the person that they thought best represent their interests. That was the person they went to like, oh, Fitz knows us. Like, mm-hmm. he knows this is a disloyalty. He'll hear us and, like, do this for us. Right. I think I just think it's really cool that not only Chade's training and to talking to everybody around the keep, but right. Burek's upbringing brought him around like the actual workers in the castle yeah (laughs) and he can talk to them yeah yeah and they feel they can talk to him yeah which is probably good for them too it feels a little bit more important like oh we have a (laughs) friend in the royal family that like knows us and hung out with us Uh uh-huh so it's cool Uh, he turns away from the courtyard because he and a little bit disappointed not just because this has (laughs) happened and he has to bring news to verity but because he thought he would catch a glimpse of Molly. And he has been uh, avoiding Molly face-to-face and trying to, refusing to see her face-to-face so as to keep her safe, but... (laughs) I refused to allow myself to see Molly again, but could not resist shadowing her. He's back on that stalker. (sighs) That stalker. It's... The worst. (laughs) I hate that he's doing this. And he goes on to talk about how whenever they're at dinner, he tries to always, like, look at her, but in a way where nobody else can tell. Like, he tries to face towards the puppet show, but he's really looking at her the whole time, which is pretty creepy. But Molly just focuses her attention on anything but Fitz, Mm -hmm. giving the impression that she's denying he even exists, which he's unhappy about. Like, bro, to her, you're doing the same thing. What are you? <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Young love. <laughs> but just like Fitz's naivety that he's like, I can't believe she's acting like I don't exist. And then at the same time, literally avoiding her and only coming to places where she is after. <laughs> it's just, oh. This is a few days past since they uh, had the funeral pyre with the foraged ones. And some other changes were around, and two other master boat builders, unsummoned, had volunteered their skills for uh, creating the warships. Mm -hmm. And they had come to Queen Ketrikin specifically. Verity, of course, was delighted. Uh, and he has been in the boat sheds ever since because it's like day and night yes. working all the time trying to get, you know, these warships created. And Queen Ketrikin is still stuck in her rooms. Mm-hmm. Verdi was the way all the more and Ketrikin, when I called on her, was more subdued than ever. I tempted her with books or outings to no avail. She spent most of her time sitting near idly at her loom, growing more pale and listless with every passing day. Her dark mood infected those ladies who attended her, so that to visit her room was as cheery as keeping a death watch. It's rough. Nothing's really changed. No. Uh, So, he went looking for Verity, but assumed he wouldn't find him. He was correct. And he was correct. So, he grabbed a game of chance 
to bring up to Ketrickin, mm-hmm. determined to try to keep her occupied, to, to make her happy, to give her some companionship. Right. But her bleak mood was beginning to burden me with its oppressiveness, so that I often heartily wished to be away from her. Little harsh fits. Yeah, I'm wondering if that's his wit just feeding on her feeling that she is perpetually giving off. Mm. Just because he's so much more acutely aware of all those emotions. And since she has the wit a little bit, if she's just kind of like oozing that discontent and depressiveness. Maybe. I don't know. I guess I didn't think about it like that, but that could be the case that... Because it does say that her ladies are even being affected by this. Yeah. And that it seems like they're on death watch. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it could be partially her wit as well as his own. His hope for this is to teach her a game that other people play. So as not uh, so as to prevent her relying on him solely to socialize with and maybe have him be away from her a little bit more often. (laughs) At this point. Yeah. But the fool, of course, comes out of nowhere. With some great advice, honestly. And he surprises us just like he surprises Fitz. (laughs) There's no mention of his approach. He just cuts in. (laughs) (laughs) Teach her to cheat first. Only just tell her that's how the game is played. Tell her the rules permit deception. A bit of sleight of hand, easily taught. And she could clean Regal's pockets for him a time or two before he dared suspect her. And then what could he do? Accuse Buckheap's lady of cheating at dice? (laughs) I did not startle physically, but he knew that once more he had taken me by surprise. His amusement shone in his eyes. I think this is a really interesting just beginning of a conversation. Um, I think it shows us that the fool also hates Regal. (laughs) This is a small way to get back at him. I mean, yeah. I think Regal has said it before that he hates... Or uh, the fool has said it before that he hates Regal. Right. But I just... I love the little reminders, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Any little reminder that someone hates Regal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All for it. Um, But also, I love the thought-out just way of the fool of... Well, what's he going to do? Accuse the queen of cheating? Right. No, every, but that'll look bad for him. <laughs> so I don't know. I just, it's just a very funny suggestion. Um, this is one of the longest conversations we get with the fool, actually. Yeah. Uh, it lasts a couple pages and it is full of information. Yes. As well. Uh, so first off. Fitz is like, nah, I think she'd take it amiss if I taught her how to cheat. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can juggle for her. And the fool says, juggle for her? Why, Fitz, that is all I do, all day long. And you see as it as but my foolery. You see my work and deem it play, while I see you work so earnestly at playing games you have not yourself devised. Take a fool's advice on this. Teach the lady not dice, but riddles, and you will be both the wiser. And that's true. Uh, Fitz doesn't realize, maybe in the back of his head, that the Fitz, that the fool, excuse me, is uh, really working at trying to keep everything on track. Yeah. He's trying to keep the king healthy. He's trying to direct the princes and everything towards the solution. Right. Well... 
part of that is because Fitz does not seem to think of anyone else as capable of being a double agent like he is, so to speak. Right. Like everybody else is what they seem on the surface. Mm -hmm. And only someone chosen by the king, as I have been, could possibly be like me where I'm pretending to be someone that I'm not. And I think that really blinds him to seeing the fool as anything other than a a court jester Mm -hmm. and stops him from taking double meaning a lot of the times in not just people but in words too and that's why he has such difficulty with the fool because Uh the fool just deals in those things and it tries to make Fitz think (laughs) right right so he talks about riddles here and we hear about bingtown here riddles that's a bingtown game is it not Twere one played well at Buckkeep these days. Answer me this one if you can. How does one call a thing when one does not know how to call it? Rereading this, I had completely forgot that it was answered in the next page, and I spent like a minute or two just trying to like, wait, what is this? What is he talking about? Here? Really? Yeah. I stopped on that. And I'm just like, hmm. I was like, I think this is about dragons immediately. I was just, like, in a mode thinking about, I don't know. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, Not my finest moment. (laughs) That's all right. And, of course, Fitz is like, I've never been good at this, fool. I'm not good with words or critically Mm -hmm. thinking, you know? (laughs) Riddles are not my strong suit. Nor any other, other of your bloodline from what I have heard. So answer this. What has wings in shrewd scroll, a tongue of flame in Verity's book, Silver eyes in the Relltown vellums, and gold-scaled skin in your room. That's a riddle? He looked at me pityingly. No. A riddle is what I just asked you. That's an elderling. And the first riddle was, how do you summon one? (laughs) I love the little dad joke here. (laughs) (laughs) Double meanings. Mm -hmm. He's confused again. But, uh... I talked briefly with Emma before this episode, but this whole saying of like, what has wings in shrewd scroll, uh, which I think is the one that he saw in Chade's room, mm-hmm. uh, a tongue of flame in Verity's book, which we haven't seen silver eyes in the Relltown vellums and gold scaled skin in your room. Where is Relltown? And is there any other mention mention of it in the realm of the elderlings? Yeah. Because I don't think so. I don't recognize it. I wonder if this is like supposed to be like Bingtown brought up later. Maybe. But like a, a book series about the Railtown people. Yeah. Um, and then the name just got changed in later editions. Or if maybe this is. No, I was going to say the Mountain Kingdom, but that's Jampe. It could be so. one of the very far south cities or something that mm. the fool knows of but That's i don't true, think yes. there's any mention of it it's rel- r-e-l-l-t-o-w-n yeah one word rel town i i don't know it's also not just so you guys know we did look on the maps that are provided by robin yeah Hob, and at uh, least of the six duchies and i looked at the uh bingtown maps or the ones in the books about the Bingtown. Live ship traders. Well, thank maps. you. <laughs> um, <laughs> with the pirate isles on it and did not see anything named Railtown. So if you have any, any more information about that, please let us know. I'm very interested to see if it's brought up at any other point. 
I couldn't find anything on the internet about it either, so I don't know if any threads or forums have talked about it before, but anything that you find would be awesome. Yes. Want to know more about where their information for the Elderlings is coming from? <laughs> this was another thing as well, um, because he answers, that's an Elderling, and the first riddle was, how do you summon one? I think I might have mistakenly say the said the Elderling plan came from Ketrikin, who brought it to Verity, and Verity took it, mm-hmm. which does happen, but it's first brought up by the Fool, which I forgot. Yeah. So did the Farseers, so it's Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I think Fitz brings it to Verity, and he dismisses it, mm-hmm. and then Ketrikin brings, like, an actual, like, concrete stuff that they can use, and then Verity's like, oh, this is, I'm gonna go. Yeah. And Ketrikin's like, oh. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> okay. Glad I could help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Fitz is, uh, again, like we said, confused. <laughs> He's like, is that a riddle or a serious question? Yes, the fool was grave. And that's true, because the fool sees this as a future. Right. He's this like, is his goal. Okay, we want elderlings back. How do you summon one? What were they? Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is what I want. Right. Do you know? Does, <laughs> does the fool not know anything about the stone dragons either? Like, he has no knowledge? I think he does. Because of a later conversation, like in a page or two on right. here, he we talk about the um, the wise men of Jean Pei, mm-hmm. and that clearly well, alludes to carving right. of stone and flying away. Right, but I mean, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, do you think he has a deeper knowledge about elderlings and dragons as a whole, including the stone dragons, which are of elderling make originally? Um, and that he got this from Claris, or that he has no idea because he wasn't given that information. It's hard to say. I feel like he would know something of dragons and things, but at the same time, there's two ways around. Either he's obtusely saying elderlings because that's all that the six duchies people kind of know of as Mm -hmm. mythical things dragons aren't real they're literally just stories right or he thinks of them only as elderlings and he doesn't know dragons are the thing he's trying to bring back yet and he thinks that the elderlings were the winged creatures in his dreams or something Mm. so i i don't know clarice i mean Aren't, isn't their island built on, like, serpent bones? Yeah. And dragon bones and stuff, so... Some type of bones. Yeah. So I... I would think that he would know something about it. I just don't know what. Yeah. And I wonder... I was wondering if... Because we know that he was, early in life, heavily watched and mm-hmm. not really allowed to do certain things. Right. Um, The little information that he did get, he ended up sneaking from the libraries that he wasn't supposed to be reading. Um, but I think the restricted section, (laughs) but I think that he is basing all of his knowledge that he does have from his dreams. Yeah. Because we know that they're hard to interpret and that even the people who are in charge of Clarice have trouble 
yeah. knowing exactly what each thing means mm-hmm. um, because it's so abstract. So who knows what he actually knows and what he's just guessing about from dreams. They continue on here. Um, and he talks to Ratsy, of course, his little scepter. You see Ratsy. He knows no more than his uncle or his grandfather. None of them know how to summon an elderling. By the skill, I said impetuously. The fool looked at me strangely. You know this? I suspect it is so. Why? I don't know. Now that I consider it, I do not think it likely. King Wisdom made a long journey to find the elderlings. If he could simply have skilled to them, why didn't he? Indeed. But sometimes there is truth in impetuosity. So riddle me this, boy. A king is alive, likewise a prince, and both are skilled. But where are those who trained alongside the king, or those who trained before him? How come we to this, this paucity of skilled ones at a time when they are so grievously needed? I first want to say that Fitz would be great at podcasting, answering a question without thinking and then going, "Eh, actually, now that I've given it thought. (laughs) (laughs) Calling Um, us out like that, jeez. But I also want to point out that this is really important. Yeah. The fool's bringing up something that is being overlooked by Fitz and probably most of the rest of the well, royal family. And the king and the prince. Like, he's uh-huh. pretty much calling them out like, no one knows this. No one's asking the correct questions. Right. Where did the skilled ones go that Solicity had to have trained? Where are they? Yeah. What are they are doing? They? Exactly. Which is so interesting <laughs> because it does beget the question of why... Isn't this a weird thing for Shrewd right. to think of? Why isn't he like, oh, yeah, where did all those people go? Why doesn't he know where they went? Maybe he does. He's just starting to go, so he doesn't have a good memory. I don't know. But but also, King Shrewd wouldn't know all of them. That's true. They would be coteries to King Bounty, his father, mm-hmm. and he was the last one to have a coterie. King Shrewd didn't have any coteries. That's true. So King Shrewd would have to remember specific names from coteries that were in his father, like, that he dealt with his fathers. But they probably, like, during King Bounty's time, they stopped warring and Mm -hmm. just had, like, skirmishes. Well, I just think it's interesting because we learn later from... Oh, is her name Kettle? Yep. Okay, we learn later from Kettle that... Her coterie left to make a stone dragon. Yes. And if that's the case, well, I guess she's like several hundred years old, so a little before a couple Shrewd's hundred, time. I think, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure other coteries also left. So how come Shrewd, who is trained in the skill, officially trained, just like anyone else would be, why doesn't he know about the tradition of going to carve a skill dragon? It doesn't seem like all of the knowledge was passed to the royal family in any of these trainings. Because mm-hmm. King Shrewd would have been able to take better care of his skill That's if fair. he had full knowledge of everything and would have been able to continue training 
Verity or noticed that Galen was not all he was up to be. It just feels like the actual coteries had more in-depth more study. in-depth training and study because they that was their purpose. Mm. And the royal family is dealt in receiving that strength, is dealt with like maybe using all of the coterie strength in certain ways. Right. And with messaging and things like that, but not necessarily the in-depth reasons why and the end result for coteries because that's probably something that maybe a little bit of like a dirty secret that they don't want the the royal families to much know about that's fair because who would want like if the longing is that bad where the whole coterie is like yep we have to go give ourselves to oblivion now <laughs> um you don't want to put a leader in that position yeah where the leader could be like no you're not going i need to use you as weapons still right that would just i also wonder about why shrewd doesn't know about healing or is slowing his age right you know and maybe he was never taught how to do that i guess we i don't know if it's made clear or not if chade is the first person to ever just do self-healing i guess kettle she uh, kept her life going for yes. a really long time. She also the reason why one of the reasons why she was cast out is because she made herself more and more beautiful, and then eventually took her sister's like significant other. I think. Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, and then she was kind of cast out because of like the huge betrayal to like their whole coterie. Right. Well, she doesn't like that great of a person. So. Yeah. <laughs> She learned her lesson after 150 yes. years of whatever. You know, so. it only took that long. But, but also, like, um, I don't think Shrewd was trained super well. And maybe at the discretion of his father, King Bounty. Mm. King Bounty is the one who stopped making coteries, who said right. no more training during peacetime. He did away with all of that. He, he seemed to be getting away from the skill in general. Mm. And it was just a royal family thing. And he's just yeah. like, oh. Make my son good enough. And that's what a it. Weird. I want to know so much about why he did this. I want to know way more about everything, but. <laughs> True. Same. All speculation. So back to the conversation between Fitz and the fool. Yes. So the fool is asking, where did the skilled ones go? And Fitz is saying, well, few are trained in times of peace. Galen didn't see fit to train any up until his last year, and the coterie he created, and they kind of have a little thing there um, that Fitz doesn't want to say it out loud, but the fool says, if the shoe does not fit, one cannot wear it, no matter who made it for you. And Fitz agrees that that is a correct metaphor. Mm-hmm. And he who made it is gone, sad, so sad, sadder than hot meat on a, on the table and red wine in your glass. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I read this through for this reading, I was like, does he not like red wine? And then, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, no, it's obvious that. And in my brain, does he not like hot meat? <laughs> <laughs> no. So I don't know. Yeah, that, I think it's, that's a funny line. That's my I had little to read moment. <laughs> but. Uh, then Fool touches on pretty much what we just said. Like, yeah, Galen is gone, but he who made him, you know, 
must have trained people. Solicity, but she's gone too. Yeah, but Verity's not. Shrewd's not. Mm-hmm. It seems to be that if there are two she created still breathing, there ought to be others. Where are they? Uh, King Shrewd's sister, Mary, was trained by Solicity. August's mother. She would have been trained, but she's long dead. King Bounty was the last to have a coterie, but very few folk of that generation are still alive. I halted my tongue. Verity had once told me that Solicity had trained as many in the skill as she could find the talent in. Surely there must be some of them left alive. They would be no more than a decade or so older than Verity. Dead too many of them, if you ask me. I do know. The fool interjected an answer to my unspoken question. I looked at him blankly. He stuck his tongue out at me, waltzed away from me a bit. He considered his scepter, chucked the rat lovingly under the chin. You see, Ratsy, it is as I told you. None of them know. None of them are smart enough to ask. Do you think you... Like, I think he wants... I think he wants them specifically to ask what happened to them, or something straightforward like that. Right. Just to get them along that line of thinking. Well, it almost feels like the fool's abilities stick to genie rules, (laughs) and like that they're uber-specific, and that he can't lead them to an answer. Like, Well, he can lead them to an answer, but he can't give it to them straight. He has to roundabout which maybe I that's think just he's him. scared of that too right. like if he gives them a straight answer is he changing some of that future but him willy-nilly ratsy sceptering around is different no <laughs> but he also knows that Fitz is the catalyst and he can influence the catalyst to make those decisions like but it sounds like he's been trying to influence the king too <laughs> <laughs> true king and king in waiting by talking about this um so I don't know. It's just such a strange hang up of I'm going to influence enough by putting them on the right track, but not so much that I'm giving them the answer, which is like, I don't think he fully knows the answer either. Like the, the full, full answer of where they all went. That's fair. But still, you know, he could be more direct. I think it would be fine, but it seems to imply that some of them were killed. Mm hmm. Um, that. Because he says, dead too many of them, if you ask me. And I do know that. So he has looked for some of these people Mm -hmm. and found them dead, which is different than he expected. Mm. Like, this begets the question of dead, like he went to their grave dead, or like their families are saying they're dead, but really they're in a dragon dead. Right. Yeah, I don't I, know. I don't know. I know you don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Or were they being I I don't know that anybody would go after them to kill them. It could have been overdose in whatever drugs they had to take to mm. get rid of the skill. I'm going to ask the same question back at you that you did me a couple weeks ago. What if somebody did kill them? Get rid of the skill people who can't help during the redship wars. That's yeah. a good point. It's one of those rabbit holes. I know. It's one of those rabbit holes. <laughs> but this this feels like more of an epic plot instead True. of just like one person. What if they were poisoned? <laughs> it was like, this is a whole generation or multiple generations of skilled users. What Honestly. if some of them were killed off 
and some of them went to dragons. I don't know. Honestly, the fool's ability kind of just sounds like anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Overthinking every single possibility that could possibly happen. (laughs) Yikes. No, thank you. (laughs) And then living with it for like 500 years. Uh Ooh, that's even worse when you think about it like that. Yikes. Fitz asks the fool the first time of many. Why can't you just speak plainly to me? And the fool gives him the correct answer that Fitz should take to heart. So the fool could further speak to him plainly in the future. (laughs) But he also, it does say that after Fitz asks, why can't you just speak plainly? He halted suddenly as if struck. Like it kind of hurt his feelings that Fitz can't, read his mind i guess right yeah would it help any he asked soberly would you listen to me if i came to you and did not speak in riddles would that make you pause and think and hang upon every word and ponder those words later in your chamber very well then i shall try do you know the rhyme six wise men went to jean Town? I nodded, as confused as ever. Recite it for me. Six wise men went to Jean Pei town, climbed a hill and never came down, turned to stone and flew away. The old nursery rhyme eluded me suddenly. I don't recall it all. It's nonsense anyway. One of those rhyming things that sticks in your head but means nothing. That, of course, is why it is inscrolled with the knowledge verses, the fool concluded. I don't know, I retorted. I suddenly felt irritated beyond endurance. Fool, you are doing it again. All you speak is riddles, ever. You claim to speak plain, but your truth eludes me. Riddles, dear Fitzy Fitz, are supposed to make folk think, to find new truths in old saws. But be that as it may, your brain eludes me. How shall I reach it? Perhaps if I came to you by dark of night and sang under your window... Before I get into the song, um, this town, this riddle here of Jean Pei Town, mm-hmm. it's brought up again later by Kettle. Yes. Who recites it and tells Fitz in plain words, this is what Verity is going to be doing. Yeah. It's describing Coteries going up, carving stone dragons, and flying away. Right. Which. A little odd that Fitz isn't realizing that six is the number of people that should be in a coterie. Yeah. And they probably probably changed, honestly, because they only grab people who are, you know, cohesive. Right. That's true. So if eight people are in one group, maybe they had an eight person coterie. Is there like is six like an actual. I thought it limit or hard rule or anything or just suggested. I thought so after reading the rhyme, but. It could be. I don't remember. I guess how many are there currently in Galen's coterie? There are like four. There were five plus Galen. So that's six, but. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. But this whole this whole poem here describes these different coteries going up and it starts at six and then it counts down Mm -hmm. 
Five wise men came to Jampei town, walked a road not up nor down, were torn to many and turned to one, in the end left a task half done, which is girl mm. on a dragon. Mm-hmm. Four wise men came to Jampei town, they spoke in words without a sound, they begged their queen to let them go, and what became of them no one can know. I feel like we heard the story of them too, but I don't quite remember. And maybe that's why they stopped telling the the kings and queens of where they were going. Right. They had to get permission. Yeah. Three wise men came to Jampé town. They, they'd helped a king to keep his crown. But when they tried to climb the hill, down they came in a terrible spill. Two wise men came to Jampé town. Gentle women, there they found. Forgot their quest and lived in love. Perhaps we're wiser than ones above. One wise man came to Jampei town. He set aside both queen and crown, did his task and fell asleep, gave his bones to the stones to keep. No wise men go to Jampei town to climb the hill and never come down. Tis wiser far and much more brave to stay at home and face the grave. It's a song of caution, mm-hmm. but also of some heroes, because the one wise man is King Wisdom. Yeah. Set aside both queen and crown, uh, carved his dragon, flew out, saved, and is at sleep. Mm-hmm. At least that's in my interpretation. Can't take it for fact, but I'm going to state it as a fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you're acknowledging that it is not technically a fact. Though. Yes. <laughs> But I'm going to say it as one anyways, because it fits pretty, pretty smoothly into that. Yeah. But that's literally a cautionary tale and trying to recall fits to that and read into it a little bit more. But at the same time, if we didn't know what we knew, we wouldn't have known either. Yeah. (laughs) Can't know what you don't know. (laughs) Talking like the fool here. (laughs) Maybe speaking in riddles is the only way to get things done. Um. So, yeah, it's it's very confusing to somebody who doesn't know what's going on in the quarry Mm -hmm. (laughs) or what happens to skills ones. Right. And it also, you know, would be hard to see it as anything other than a just nonsensical riddle. Right. Right. I mean, you grew up singing it. It'd be like if somebody told you Itsy Bitsy Spider actually has deep meaning that tells you how to, Mm -hmm. you know, become one with mother earth in some weird way although ring around the posy uh is rosy excuse me pox full posy is uh about the plague that's true so but that doesn't give you instruction on how to get it (laughs) (laughs) well to get the plague you can uh (laughs) you just hold hands with other kids (laughs) yeah go out unmasked true Um, (laughs) you know what (laughs) touche so the fool gets down and starts singing to Fitz to get his attention. Some little serenade going. Yes, to capture his brain, to make him think. Bastard princeling, Fitz my sweet, you waste your hours to your own defeat. You work to stop, you strive to refrain, when all your effort should go to a gain. He'd flung himself to one knee and sang quite lustily. I guess the tune belonged to a popular love ballad. <laughs> Sighing theatrically. You would love to be a witness to this scene. Oh my gosh, I would so much. As he continues to sing, people are gathering and like giggling and like laughing at each other and pointing <laughs> out, oh, this is so funny or whatever. 
Why does a farseer never look afar? Why dwells he completely in things as they are? Your coasts are besieged, your people beset. I warn and I urge, but they all say, not yet. O oh, bastard princeling, gentle fits, will you delay until chopped to bits? Will fate seduce you to her will? Not if you struggle with all your skill. Summon your allies, locate the trained. Consummate all from which you've refrained. There's a future not yet fashioned, founded by your fiery passions. If you use your wits to win, you'll save the duchies for your kin. I think the last two verses, the last two paragraphs and chunks that I said um, are the important ones. The first one is just kind of getting his attention a little bit. Just saying, you know, why are you wasting away trying to do what you are doing now? Mm -hmm. Keeping a stalemate, trying to do this war when there's something bigger going on that you need to try. Why Why do farseers only want to do what's been given to them? Why are you so reactionary? Do something proactive. Mm -hmm. Fix your problems. <laughs> right. Uh, but the, the last parts here. Will fate seduce you to her will? Not if you struggle with all your skill. Capitalized. Summon your allies. Locate the trained. Consummate all from which you've refrained. There's a fiery future not yet fashioned, founded by your fiery passions. If you use your wits to win, you'll save the duchies for your kin. Fitz, uh, Fitz is basically, you know, said, said to his face that you have to perfect your skill and your wit, get allies, find the people who have trained in the skill to, you know, win, mm -hmm. and... Don't be afraid to dive into the wit, to use the skill. You need to perfect all of that, which you have been kind of pushing aside, because you can change the future. I'm telling you, Fitz, I can see the future, and you can change it. Right. <laughs> he literally does lay it out straight to him. Well, yeah. I mean, summon your allies is when he goes with Ketrikin and Kettle. And the fool. Yeah, I think kettle is the locate the trained. Right. Yeah. Uh, consummate all from which you've refrained. Uh, doesn't he sleep with a uh, harp girl? What's her name? <laughs> Starling, that's like Starling. after. But also... That happens after? I thought that happens in the barn and he feels super guilty because he like... Oh yeah, maybe. Literally but consummate also means perfect. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Both. Both happen. All from which you've refrained. <laughs> but I guess that could be talking about the wit. Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but he's not wrong. <laughs> the fool is literally saying like, hey, you got to sleep with someone to save the future. <laughs> Wink. The only time it'll ever work. <laughs> hey, Starling, I need to save the world. Sleep with me. <laughs> if you don't sleep with me right now, the world will end. <laughs> Uh, um, so obviously not what it meant. I, my head just needs to get out of the gutter. I mean, it could be, it could be a double meeting again. I mean, the, the fool is very apt at putting those together. Right. So he's very Shakespearean. <laughs> Has a dirty double meaning in every single line. You mean? <laughs> yes. 
But there's a future not yet fashioned, which means that technically at this point, Fitz could still mess it up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, other people yeah. too, but in general, they this isn't on the right path quite yet. It's a... It does say it straight out. It's awesome foreshadowing that you really only catch when you reread it because then you know the meanings of everything. Right. But this chapter was is awesome to reread. Right. I really remember. Enjoyed this. I remember the first time reading through this, I had to reread this section several times. I'm like, I know there's some meaning here. I'm going to get something. And of course, I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> I didn't know. What any, I could tell that it has something to do with the skill and the wit, but right. now definitely reading it again is like, oh my gosh, every single line comes true. Yeah, skill and wits are both capitalized. Of course, Fitz can't see the words that are written no. here, but for the reader, it's a little bit more laid out. Mm -hmm. But this is interesting because this means that the fool knows Fitz is witted. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Interesting. There's uh, two last, um, I guess, stanzas to this. I'm not all up on my poetry I don't uh, know. section. You stopped it at a weird spot because in my book, you stopped it like midway through one stanza. Oh, that's where it ends on my ebook page. Uh, well, in my so, real book. <laughs> well, okay. So if you use your wits to win, you'll save the duchies for your kin. Thus begs a fool on bended knee. Let not a darkness come to be. Let not our peoples go to dust when life in you has placed this trust. Do you have anything to say about the last four lines of that? that I just read because... I didn't find super, you know, much meaning in that. That didn't make sense grammatically at all, but I didn't find much meaning in that at all. Uh, it was just basically a plea. I think the let not a darkness come to be is the the future that Claris wants. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so too. And then not let not our peoples go to dust. Um, kind of alluding... That they're different peoples yes. as well. But also that, well, without Fitz, Clarice is going to keep on going forever. Yeah. But also, if they stay on this path, Buckkeep loses. Yeah. Almost definitely. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing to me is when life in you has placed this trust, life is capitalized. So I feel like there has to be some sort of meaning in that. And I wonder if it's just like because he's a catalyst life yeah. itself, not just life in general, but thinks as, you on the have whole. the yeah, what it takes to change things. Yeah, I can agree with that. I like that interpretation. But yeah, so I feel like it's just saying if we fail here, everyone dies. But life has given you this chance to change mm -hmm. things and pretty much all of that last part that we were talking about was whisper singing to him from the fool mm -hmm. so there's this gathered around crowd they heard the fool sing to Fitz, calling him his sweet you work to stop you strive to refrain all your efforts should go to a gain mm -hmm. um you know, will you delay this until you're chopped to bits? All of that was singing out loud and everything to the crowd. And then he whisper sings to Fitz, 
these the important lines mm-hmm. and then sings again at the end loudly and jovially like if you choose to and if you choose to let this pass like so much farting from your ass behold my reverence for thee feast eyes on what men seldom see he suddenly released my cuff to tumble away from me in a somersault that somehow reached a finish with his presentation of his bare buttocks to me. They were shockingly pale, and I could conceal neither my amazement nor affront. So he's got a nice butt. <laughs> <laughs> Very pale, though. Shockingly so. Uh, he gets applause from the crowd, and Fitz tries to walk away. Because he's very embarrassed and kind of angry and upset that his friend would do such a thing to him. Even though this is like the fool's whole job is to embarrass. Right. Well, he says, <laughs> yeah, he people. says, I know this is what the fool does, but I've never expected to be the butt of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Robin. <laughs> Miss Hobb, you did well. <laughs> the fool abruptly astern assumed a stern stance and addressed all who still grinned. Fie and shame upon you all to be so merry, to giggle and point at a boy's broken heart. Do you not know the Fitz has lost one most dear to him? Ah, he hides his grief beneath his blushes, but she has gone to her grave and left his passion unslaked. That most stubbornly chaste and virulently flatulent of maidens, dear Lady Time, has perished. Of her own stench, I doubt it not. Though some say it came of eating spoiled meat. But spoiled meat, you say, has a most foul odor to warn off any from consuming it. Such we can say of Lady Time also. And so perhaps she smelled it not, or deemed it but the perfume of her fingers. He's also warning Fitz here that Lady Time has died. Mm -hmm. And it is said by poisoned meat. Which... Fitz kind of goes through the whole reasons here afterwards, after hearing that, um, that why would, why would the fool do this to me? He embarrassed me. I'll think about those lyrics later or whatever, but I'm so mad right now, which is exactly what the fool wanted. Right. Uh, but then also why would Jade have his persona be killed? Why would this happen? You know, what gain is this? Right. And I think it's important that the fool warn him because, Fitz should know because they're supposedly close. Or at least it seems that, that everybody right. thinks that way. Regal probably spread that rumor. Yeah. But if he didn't know, that'd be a little suspicious if somebody were to come upon him and be like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And be he's like, like, what? what? <laughs> yeah. So I think this is also just a good friend move, although not done well. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it's a good friend move. But I think it's also important information because... It also tells him that Jade did make a conscious decision to kill off Lady Time with the rumor that Regal succeeded with his mm-hmm. poison sausage. So Regal thinks that he won. Right. I wonder if this is done. So he asks, you know, is this to make Regal believe he won? To what end? And I wonder if it's... Chade and Shrewd naively believing his pestering will stop for real if he thinks he got vengeance on his mother. Maybe. Because he's supposed to be under watch right now, and he very obviously tried to poison Lady Time. Yeah. <laughs> I am sure Chade brought well, it up to Shrewd. not obviously. 
Well, <laughs> touche. He almost succeeded. He did almost succeed. But, you know, I just, I don't know. I wonder if the thought is, well, obviously he needs a win here because boys will be boys. So mm-hmm. let's just give him what he wants. Also, maybe it's because uh, Regal might become more overt in his attempts on Lady Time. And if he does succeed, one, that kills Jade, and it's, which is terrible for the crown right. and the future of the crown. But two, also reveals a man in a woman's costume mm. and probably creates a lot more questions. That's fair. So it might just be safer since there is such suspicion from a high place with means on Lady Time. Maybe they just, Shrewd and Shade decided, like, we need to kill her off and start something else. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Also, if he gets too blatant, I know that he thinks that he's safe because if you don't care, then you're safe. But maybe they're worried that that isn't going to be enough and that then everybody will know that the only backup left for King is a murderer. Yeah. And it's not exactly a great look, even though he's still technically a murderous person. Mm -hmm. They just don't want everybody else to know that, which I don't know if that's worse or better, but. (laughs) (sighs) Well, all of this was on the way to uh, Queen Waiting Ketrickin's room to teach her a game of chance. And he is finally making his way over there and is standing before the door. When all of a sudden behind him, Regal bursts out and runs into him and has some words for Fitz. Do you think Regal was like waiting on the other I side of the door? I don't think because, so. You know, well, he goes to Ketrickin every day, so I don't think it would be that weird for him to know. That's fair, actually. But, but also like... Especially because Lady Time just got announced as dead. Like, <laughs> I think... I Okay... I think Regal is super petty and he could do that, but I also think that Regal thinks way too highly of himself to just wait around for a little old bastard. I don't know. I think he's petty enough. <laughs> I just imagine him on the other side of the door, like a serving woman comes past and he goes, ah, oh, and he shuts the door, <laughs> like waits again. <laughs> if this wasn't a tragedy of a book, but like <laughs> a comedy. <laughs> Ugh. Why can't there be comedy in tragedy, Luke? Not in Fitz's life. Well, I disagree, (laughs) but okay. (laughs) Uh, So Regal runs into him and insults Lady Time, insults Queen Ketrickin and Fitz all at the same time, saying that Fitz was, you know, cozying up to Lady Time to, you know, get high and mighty and get power and things. And what, are you going to turn to Ketrickin now? Cozy up to her. Oh, I thought he was trying to imply that he was sleeping with old lady time. Well, maybe. And like now you're gonna. He could be going for a younger. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, both work. I would like, I think, I guess I prefer your take, but. My take could also include that, technically. True. <laughs> I was just using more of Regal's words to avoid <laughs> making a. That guess, I I suppose, because I don't know what he means. Like, he's implying that he specifically says, where will you suckle up to now that the old horror time is dead? Ah, well, I am sure you will find some other old woman to coddle you. Or are you come to wheedle up to a younger one now? He dared to smile at me. 
before he wheeled on his heel and strode off in a fine flutter of sleeves, trailed by his three sycophants. sycophants. So he could be implying that, definitely. I mean, I think... That's all that Regal thinks of women, at least. True. It seems to him, at least, that... Which is odd, because what then does he think of his mother? But maybe it's... She's the exception. She's not included, yeah. Of course. She's not a woman. She's my mom. (laughs) (laughs) The insult to the queen poisoned me into rage. It came with a suddenness such as I had never experienced. I felt my chest and throat swell with it. A terrible strength rushed through me. I know my upper lip lip lifted in a snarl. From afar I sensed, What? What is it? Kill it! Kill it! Kill it! I took a step. The next would have been been a spring, and I know my teeth would have sunk into the place where throat meets shoulder. But, Fitzchivalry, said a voice full of surprise. Molly's voice. This anger is really interesting to me Mm. because obviously it's not from night eyes nope because he just kind of barges in later like whoa where's this anger from kill Uh it right now and it comes from insulting ketrican it's not just a reaction to regal because he's stood strong before regal before without getting like super angry right but he's literally about to jump and bite where his neck meets the shoulder. Like, Which also is such a weird image, but yeah. I mean, I think later on he does kill a forged one with his teeth. So. True. <laughs> Don't love that. Hate being reminded that humans are actually very fragile and teeth could in fact kill you, but yeah. sure. Um. So I... I don't know where he experienced this. I still think he has a bit of a crush on Catcher Ken. Sure. Um, but also that would not spark... Something to immediately kill another person with your teeth. Well, he's kind of been getting wound up all day. I don't think this is <laughs> necessarily true. just about Ketrickin. That's true. I think it's one thing after another building. He starts with, you know, going to the wolfhound or wolf cub that he feels bit guilty for taking yeah. care of. And then runs into a, a soldier that's supposed to be Verity's soldier that now wants him to go ask Verity for permission yeah. to not be his soldier anymore. And then from there runs into the fool who embarrasses him in front of everyone. (laughs) And then, you know, just also Molly's been ignoring him and he's been thinking about that. Oh, uh, yes. So I'm sure it's not just because of who he was insulting. Also, he's like thinking about what the heck is Chade doing with letting Lady Time die. But, you know, I wonder if this is part of. I don't know, I guess. I don't want to say this is a wit thing because I feel like that's generalizing a group of people that I don't know very much about. But I wonder if part of the wit is that animal instinct. You're like more tapped into that natural side of you. Um, more emotions in general. And, yeah. Because I mean, that's what the wit is. It's uh-huh. As emotions. Connecting to living creatures. And I'm saying this because we know that later in battle, Fitz is kind of a berserker. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so was Eric, yeah. Eric. And so I wonder if that's part of, which probably you have to do whenever you're murdering people that you can literally feel the life coming out of. Yeah. You just that's, your body needs to forget everything. Uh-huh. That's so I wonder there. if part of that is just like this anger that can like, that could really definitely be over. true. Yeah. And maybe that's something from being untrained in yeah. the old ways. And that's like a danger. That. 
yeah. of just like anything, the skill can have dangers too. Mm-hmm. And so maybe with the wit, it's like a wild animal that never got trained not to bare their teeth yeah. at their masters. You know, I don't know. Yeah, you weren't. Yeah, you weren't trained to keep your emotions in check or anything. Mm-hmm. I can see that. You don't know how to put that wall up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just my personal that's a good guess. Thought. Yeah, and that's what I thought of. I like that. But feel free to tell me if you think I'm wrong. <laughs> so Molly is leaving Ketchikan's chamber, and is surprised to see Fitzchivalry there, and just brushes past him, turns aside, starts walking away, like, "Oh, pardon, my lord." And, like, is specifically keeping that distance. You think she's surprised that he's outside Ketrickin's door? Yeah, I think so. Oh. I thought she was surprised at how angry he looked. He was turned away from the door. She didn't, he, she didn't see I him. I guess I imagined it was, like, his side profile, but I guess, mm. yeah, that's fair. I don't know. But also, girl, Ketrickin is married molly i called stepping after her she paused when she looked at me her face was empty of emotion her voice neutral sir had you an errand for me an errand of course i glanced about us but the corridor was empty i took a step toward her pitched my voice low for her ears only no i i've just missed you so molly i this is not seemly sir i beg you to excuse me she turned, proudly, calmly, and walked away from me. What did I do? I demanded in angry consternation. I did not really expect an answer, but she paused. Her blue-clothed back was straight, her head erect under her tatted haircloth. Thanks, Lacey. She did not turn back to me, but said quietly to the corridor. Nothing. You did nothing at all, my lord. Absolutely nothing. Another person speaking plainly to Fitz and him not getting it. <laughs> uh, Night Eyes asks him, like, hey, you're feeling bad, let's go hunting. And Fitz is like, yeah, that would be really nice, but I can't. So it's another choice that he makes to stay mm-hmm. with the struggle. He stays with the emotions. And I noted down here that uh, after he gives some of his memories to Girl on a Dragon, mm-hmm. he chooses to just go, quote, hunting. And just, like, lives in the moment. He lives for a year in the mountains there. He quests up and down with night eyes. Like, he forgets how to live, how that struggle feels. He doesn't want to do that anymore. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. That piece of humanity was given away, and then he was able to become Mm -hmm. a wolf. But for right now, he's in it. He he has feelings for Molly. He wants to stay there. He wants to help Ketrickin. He wants to help Verity. Mm-hmm. He wants all of these things and all of these human emotions, but gives them away at the end of the trilogy, and then he's just kind of there. And luckily, Hap turned out okay. Yeah, yeah poor Hap. Like, um, no wonder he is a little butt whenever they get to town later. <laughs> he's just a teenage boy. I know, but it was so frustrating to read. He's a better kid than that. <laughs> he's just naive. Yeah. So Fitz composes himself and knocks at Ketrickin's door and was opened by little Rosemary. And Ketrickin is holding a fat green candle there, so he realizes why Molly was in there. And Ketrickin is changed. Mm-hmm. She is not depressed. She doesn't have a 
uh, a very sad and death watch environment around her. <laughs> it's just relaxed and peaceful. Her quarters are very austere. Um, like Verity complained that it was like a military encampment, basically. And that is calming to Fitz at the moment. Right. <laughs> it's just uh, her and Rosemary in the chamber. Yeah. And uh, it's just them kind of relaxing with a little alcove in the corner. <laughs> there was no clutter at all. In this room, all was finished and put away or not yet begun. That is the only way I can describe the stillness I felt there. Mm-hmm. I'd come in a royal of conflicting emotions. Now I stood still and silent, my breathing steadying and my heart calming. I feel like this is very spa-like in her room. Yeah. Yeah. Without, like, the random decorations on the walls or stuff. It's just literally bare-bones spa. Although, it does say she has art on her wall. Did it not? Yeah. Did I make that part up? No, you, you didn't. There's a couple. It says, um, let me see here. There were frame-supported parchment screens painted with delicate sprays of flowers and trees. There was no clutter at all. Mm. So there is at least a little... the At least two. (laughs) (laughs) At least two paintings. But has a little alcove with, like, a screen and puts the candle behind it and lights it and sits down on a bench and asks Fitz to join her. And... He says, you know, you know, I thought you would like to learn some games of chance. And she's like, no, maybe another time. Thank you, though. But I have found my center again, basically. One can only walk so far from one's true self before the bond either snaps or pulls back. I am fortunate. I have been pulled back. I walk once more in trueness to myself, Fitz chivalry. And that is what you sense today. I don't understand. She smiled. You don't need to. And rereading all these chapters, because the next couple lines mention Little Rosemary again. Mm-hmm. Rereading all these chapters, it just brings to mind how many times Rosemary is mentioned in mm-hmm. all of these Ketrakin chapters. It's yep. just like, wow. She's literally always there. Yeah. Ketrakin's just sitting there quiet with a bemused smile on her face. And she's waiting. And Fitz is waiting. And after a moment or two, he's like, what are we doing? <laughs> So just rocking on his chair like, uh-huh. all right. So what next? And she's like, nothing. We're doing nothing, Fitz. <laughs> and he short circuits like a computer that was not programmed to run that. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry, what is what is nothing? <laughs> she gives a metaphor where things happen to a tree, but, you know, through it all, the tree remains the same. It is still a tree. It still continues to exist. And Fitz is like, I don't really understand. I guess so. Sure, I understand. And she's just kind of meditating. Yeah. She's just here thinking about her existence and being fine with who she is and meditating on the world. What do you think brought this about? I'm not really sure, honestly. Because she's still lonely and she's still sad. But it, I mean, it could be just that crisis of self that she's kind of saying. I don't know any specific incident right. that would have brought this out in her. I wonder 
I wonder if it was a little bit of Molly. And I mean, there's nothing to back this up. So this is literally just (laughs) in my mind. But we know that Molly brings her candles and she's one of the few people that gets a candle. Yeah. And this is a relatively new thing. And that the candles are part of what helped her bring her back to her center. Yeah, because it reminds her of home Mm -hmm. because she can capture scents. And so I wonder if Molly noticed that she was sad because Molly seems to be one of those people who, whether she knows you well or not, if she sees you you have a problem without thinking would probably just suggest a way to fix the problem. Yeah. And so I could see her giving the relaxing candle and say, these candles are good for meditating or some, like something to that effect that encourages her to try to meditate and maybe that helped get her back. Maybe. Because yeah. meditation is good for depression yeah. and some people it helps. So I don't know. I feel like this is something that we hear happens in the Mountain Kingdom as well. This True. kind of meditation, um, which lends credence to the fact that they have a strong wit bloodline going mm-hmm. through them. A lot of old blood. Yeah. Because they try again. They try, well, she does, and Fitz tries (laughs) to meditate. She quested, not as I did, toward a specific beast or to read what might be close by. I discarded the word I had always given to my sensing. Ketrakin did not seek after anything with her wit. It was as she said, simply a being. But it was being a part of the whole. She composed herself and considered all the ways the great web touched her, and was content. It was a delicate and tenuous thing, and I marveled at it. It's literally just not specifically reaching out and touching anything or repelling anything. It's mm-hmm. just what she said about the tree. It's just knowing where you are at in the world right. and being okay with that. Uh, Fitz does mention that... If he hadn't experienced both the skill and the wit before, he doesn't think that he would have sensed Ketrakin's reaching out mm-hmm. with the wit, which is interesting. So she must be, since he does use them very combined, he must be much more sensitive to certain things. Right. Well, he seems extremely skilled in the wit. I mean, it says skilled coming up. in the wit. Yeah, I know. It's hard. I couldn't think of another <laughs> word. Um but it says that he decides to let go too. He yep. tries it and his wit senses extend so far that he can feel Burek in the stables stop and frown. He can feel the pigeons in the rafters and the mice in the cellar mm-hmm. running around the wine uh, wine caskets. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge amount of space. I don't think The castle is small. Molly shrugged away and shook out her hair. Across from me, Ketrakin started and looked at me as if I had spoken aloud. A moment more, I was held, seized from a thousand sides, stretched and expanded, illuminated piteously. I felt it all, not just the human folk with their comings and goings, but the pigeons and the mice, every speck of life that was not and never had been a speck, but had always been a node on the web of life. Nothing alone, nothing forsaken, nothing without meaning, nothing of no significance, and nothing of importance. 
Somewhere, someone sang and then fell silent. A chorus filled in after that solo. Other voices, distant and dim, saying, What? Beg pardon? Did you call? Are you here? Do I dream? They plucked at me as beggars pluck at strangers' sleeves, and I suddenly felt that if I did not draw away, I could come unraveled like a piece of fabric. I blinked my eyes, sealing myself inside myself again. I breathed in. That makes me believe it's farther than the castle, that since he does use the skill and the wit together, Mm -hmm. this is a combination of him opening, like he says, opening the dams, basically, Mm -hmm. dropping all the barriers and letting himself fling wide. It's the wit touching on every living creature, but the skill sending it as far out as he could possibly ever imagine sending it out. And he's touching all of these different nodes on the web of life, and he's saying it's being illuminated from all around him. So all of these different voices that are crying out to him are just, I don't know. It's interesting, because I don't know who they are, but it could be literally anyone. Right. Ooh. Do you have any thoughts at all to who the... So, just to clarify, because if you're listening to this, you're obviously not reading the book. Or maybe you are. Congratulations for being able to multitask. But the line, nothing alone, nothing forsaken, nothing without meaning, nothing of no significance, and nothing of importance, is italicized as though someone else is saying this. Yeah. And we don't know who that is. I have no idea, yeah. Literally no clue. Because <laughs> it's not, it doesn't say before or after that someone was saying that particular line, but that is the first italicized thing after let us hunt the wolf joyfully says. Mm-hmm. So we kind of get the hint, the hint that italicized things are not thought fits. or yes. spoken aloud by somebody else. Although I suppose it could be Fitz thinking that, but also, I don't know. I wondered if this is partially the voice of the mother-like being that later Mm. fishes fits out of the river, the skill river. If this is part of that, if this is maybe Ida, because she's one with the land, I think. So it would make more sense for it to be Ida rather than Elle. Also sounds a little too nice to be Elle. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it's like... You know, Mother Earth talking to him. Yeah. And I don't know, all the other voices. Somewhere someone sang and then fell silent. A chorus filled in after that solo. Other voices, distant and dim, saying, What? Beg pardon? Did you call? Are you here? Do I dream? Do you think those are animals that would have been willing to uh, bond with him? Maybe. But if it's the skill and wit, maybe it's people, the dragons, the dragons or the do I serpents. Dream? Are you here? Serpents? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. It, there's literally no way to tell. And I really want to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, because we know there's only one dragon that is an adult and alive technique, at least as far as yeah. we know throughout the whole series mm-hmm. in this moment. It's ice fire. Yes. Icefire is technically the last dragon. Mm-hmm. 
He's the only dragon alive right now. Mm-hmm. If this is a combination of the wit and skill, he is connecting and hearing voices through the skill. Because the wit does not convey anything unless you are linked or specifically talking to someone. Right. But if it's an animal that he's connected with through this wit and skill joining, it could be animals, I guess. Right. Well, animals can talk to you unbidden. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be just random animals, but. It could be. It's just. I I I don't know. I want to know. I do, too. (laughs) It's a rough one. But Fitz uh, is overwhelmed by this. No time had passed, a single breath, a wink of an eye. Ketrikin looked askance at me. I appeared not to notice. I reached up to scratch my nose. I shifted my weight. I resettled myself firmly. I let a few more minutes pass before I sighed and shrugged apologetically. I do not understand the game, I am afraid, I offered. I had succeeded in annoying her. It is not a game. You don't have to understand it or do it. Simply stop all else and be. He is on purpose trying to just get dismissed later. He's building up yeah. like an excuse to leave. Well, I'm sure that's a very odd yeah. feeling mm-hmm. of like, oh, wow, this is like everything alive ever within miles <laughs> radius of the castle. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> I need to go think about how small I am now. <laughs> he compliments the candle. Uh, and Ketrikan sighed and gave up on me. The girl who makes them has a very keen awareness of sense. Almost she can bring me my gardens and surround me with their fragrances. Regal brought me one of her honeysuckle tapers, and after that I sought out her wares myself. She is a serving girl here, and does not have the time or resources to make too many, so I count myself fortunate when she brings them to offer to me. Regal, I repeated. Regal speaking to Molly, Regal knowing her well enough to know her candle-making. Everything inside me clenched with foreboding. And then immediately after that, he asked to be dismissed. Yes. This exercise does not exclude company, Fitzchivalry. She looked at me sadly. Will you not try again to let go? For a moment, I thought, no. Ah, Then I, I let you go. I heard regret and loneliness in her voice. Then she straightened herself. She took a breath and breathed it out slowly. I felt again her consciousness thrumming in the web. She has the wit, I thought to myself. Not strong, but she has it. And he thinks about how Birik would react to that. Mm-hmm. But also uh, how she had been alerted when Fitz did quest out with the wit. And thinks that, oh, it's just a matter of time before I'm discovered with this. So I have to cut all ties. And tomorrow he promises to himself... That he would cut ties with Night Eyes tomorrow. Right. Well, that's what is, what's implied. I found my resolve and hardened myself to it. Tomorrow I would act. Right. Well, he doesn't want Ketrickin to start complaining of dreaming of running with the wolves. Yeah. And if she can sense it and Burek can sense it. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to accuse it. Which, obviously, if you can sense it, you also have the wit. So what good would it do to point right. him out? Right. But he's not thinking of that. He's thinking of... 
I need, I'm in danger mm-hmm. and I need to end whatever this is with Night Eyes. I'm trying to remember um, conversations of Fitz and Molly in the future, and it is eluding me their specific conversations. But I think they talk about Regal at one point, and I don't remember specifically what Molly says about Regal. But is that the reason that she's so distant or one of the reasons she's so distant right now? Or is it just because she's jealous of Ketrickin or is it because she realizes that Fitz has like a direct line to Queen Ketrickin all the time and she's like, oh, our stations are too far apart. What am I doing? I don't know. I also am vaguely remembering that they talk about Regal. I feel as though Regal made some joke about it's having a bunch of lovers or something. Yeah, something like, like that. He definitely made a comment about Fitz to her, but I don't think he's trying to like court her in any way. I don't know because no. he wouldn't so even to get back at Fitz. He would not stoop so low. No. Yeah. Um, he but, probably mentions like celerity and old lady time and yeah. kind of whatever. And I don't know, but maybe just, other people, maybe just in general yeah. to be a jerk. He knows who she is and. Or maybe he just talks bad about his nephew all True. the time for no reason. It doesn't matter who you are. That is scary, though. Like, yeah. to find out, like, hey, I have to protect everyone from uh-huh. Regal, who is potentially going to try to poison him to attack me. And then you realize they have a... He has a personal knowledge of, like, the person that you wanted to protect the most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, also, you think about how the night that Lady Time has been poisoned and murdered, as far as everyone is aware... Yep. They were talking about how he couldn't tell anyone that it was Regal, and he goes straight to Molly and says, hey, I can't tell you any details, but somebody Mm -hmm. tried to poison me. So he knows Regal would kill her in an instant, but she doesn't know, and that would be even more scary, is that she doesn't know how close she is. And you can't live your life afraid that every single person that you run into is a murderer. Right. But like... When Fitz knows which ones the murderers are, it's like, yeah. maybe you should have given her a little bit better of a heads up, bud. I don't know. <laughs> that's not that's not in Fitz's MO. Come on. No, that's true. That's not what he does. Leaves people in the dark. Surprises them later. <laughs> it's like a really crappy surprise party. <laughs> well, thanks so much for tuning in this week. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And please let us know if you have any information on Reltown or anything like that or if you just want to um discuss our theories that we came up with or if you have some of your correct own. us or if you have some of your own that we missed please let us know is fits happy at gmail.com or any of the social medias at is fits happy if you can't find us we are not on that one <laughs> <laughs> uh, facebook instagram twitter and reddit we look forward to discussing next week with you Okay, so we're going to talk to you a little bit about an email we got um, about our last episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Egg McNoggin sent in a, an email here talking about how the ruling pairs conversation that we had was really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
they ended up making us a chart, an Excel spreadsheet, which we will be sharing because I love a good Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> but also, I think you guys would love to see it, too. So we will make sure to share that. Mm-hmm. Speaking in general uh, about this, it's how usually the good ruling pairs have one extroverted people person that have a broad charismatic feel and one person who is more uh, charismatic in one-on-one and more influential in one-on-one conversations than the other person in their, in their pair. Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, like chivalry was a very excellent people person to a broad group. He is very charismatic. He presented the right things. He had the, the, that broad charismatic personality and really motivated people and could lead a big group. But, uh, Ed McDoggin says that he wasn't very good at the one-on-one dealings quote. Nobody really liked being around him that much besides Birik and patience. His close range charisma was not nearly as effective as Verity's, which I was kind of, wary on but emma brought up a point when we were discussing this earlier Mm -hmm. so my take on this is yes we have examples of chivalry being a good leader one-on-one where he gets along really well with rurisk they're friends he gets along or he changes a noble woman's mind on how to act uh, making her more generous towards the people Um, and i don't think that discounts this idea because you can still be good at one-on-one. It's These are tasks that are an, a means to an end, essentially. And you can still be good at one-on-one at those. They're just not your strongest suit. And he has the mind to think of, on the whole, what is this going to do? Um, whereas the general populace seems to be uncomfortable with chivalry just talking to him one-on-one because he's he's unapproachable he's unapproachable perfect he is yes and he expects everyone else to meet the same standards that he does and that is a little off-putting to a regular person who you know isn't royalty and (laughs) just wants to get through the day um so I think that's where that the phrase that nobody really likes him is coming from. It's not mm-hmm. that literally no one likes him. It's <laughs> that he's, I mean, I could be wrong. Egg McNoggin, just please. unapproachable. <laughs> Tell me if I am misinterpreting, but yeah. Um, yeah, that he's just a little bit harder to approach. But we, we bring, we see this in Ketrickin too, that she's able to create hope in this land where there hasn't been hope for a couple years now, and she brings them all into battle. Yet with her ladies in waiting, she is horrible. She had a hard time gathering people around her, and then even when she does, she's not super great at making them feel like she's. I mean, also she's not in the greatest headspace at the moment. No, but... no. I mean, <laughs> with all due respect. Uh, yeah. So for the moment, I can agree with that with Ketrikan, but she had like close friends back where she was and stuff. I just think her situation isn't the best to interpret into this model as of yet. Right. Well, I just think that, I mean, I feel like everyone can make at least one friend, you know, (laughs) just because you're not as She listed at least three names. Plus she was part of a family that people did approach. So she was approachable. She was trained to be. Could also be a culture thing. Whereas in this culture, it's not as approachable and it's, I don't know, just different. 
Also, kings and queens just aren't approachable for common True. folk. <laughs> also that. Um, but also says that we've been too hard on Verity. For Very not, fair. Yeah, for not being a great leader. Which is true. Okay, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love Verity. Mm-hmm. Verity is one of my favorite characters in this. He has a lot of shortcomings when it comes to being a king during this time period. Right. I think he'd be great without his father around. Without the red ships as well. (laughs) Well, especially without the red ships. But I think if he didn't have his dad yucking his yum every time he had an idea, um, it would be a lot easier for him to be a good king. Mm -hmm. But I think the culmination of always living in his both brothers' shadows and his father literally saying no to all of his ideas and not taking him seriously. And, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, but Epic Noggin's point here is that Verity's one-on-one conversations and how people treat him and, and seem to like him mm-hmm. as a person, um, he's just much more relatable. Right. And people like him much better in that sense. He's not. He doesn't have the broad, charismatic appeal, but... In a personability, like right, able to get along with people. That's 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 his bread and butter right there. Right, and Egg McNoggin relates this to Patience's strong points, and mm-hmm. so that she probably would have been a great queen um, because she is able to, you know, get the funding needed to keep the palace alive while Regal is tearing it apart, mm-hmm. and she is able to take over and you know, work with others to create a community that works, but she isn't able to rally anyone to fight much like Verity. She doesn't have whatever it is that you need to lead a group into battle. I think that's like, I think that's one of the things that I, I slightly disagree with because this whole thing takes into account that they're, they're very, black and white either this or that mm-hmm. which you know it, it could be different from what what this person was trying to convey to us mm-hmm. but the way that the like the spreadsheet is set up it's pretty like this category or this category right. there's like one that's like oh maybe both or whatever but for patience she does have that ability to ra- rally people when she's pushed to it she rallies the 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 runners mm, like true. they organize she organizes them they're they want to do this like they they believe in the cause those what are they called like ivy runners or something i think so i can't remember um the message carriers are one of the most dangerous positions because they have to run through like forged one infested country and like mm-hmm. civil war infested country and like run these messages and she kind of inspired and leads that True. So I I don't believe that she's just an interior, but also she hates being one on one with people that she doesn't know. Yeah. So she's not good at those personal relationships. Well, <laughs> just because she doesn't like it doesn't mean she's not good. You can not like something that you're naturally gifted in. Yeah, but she also doesn't have a lot of friends. And if you're really good, even if you don't like it, I feel like people would like you. Well, I don't know. She That's just, fair. yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. I think it falls apart a little bit with patience because she is so unique in that she doesn't want any of the court life. She doesn't want anything to do with ruling and was kind of forced into it and did well. Right. And was able to rally people. But as like, I'm still of the mind that if chivalry was alive and became king, 
she would have just been chivalry's escape and she would have kind of lived her own life doing her own hobbies and maybe something would have come over years, but like it would have taken a long time. Well, to be fair, she wouldn't have been in the position to guard the castle because Regal wouldn't be causing a civil war. Right. Although maybe exactly. he would still be trying to cause a civil war. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but that that's my point. There's no yeah. like catalyzing moment for her then. Fair. I don't know. I, I like the idea that successful couples have the counterpoints yeah yeah like one is just widely acceptable to the public and one is better off when it's a smaller group Mm -hmm. definitely but that could also be summarized into one person who thinks more of the big picture and one person who thinks of the little picture and just in different ways of like how these actions can affect the people or how the people can affect the actions Mm -hmm. i don't know but it is like it is a great um, chart here to mm-hmm. show that the people who were chosen to be rulers really did complement one another. Yeah, and it it could have worked out if all of them didn't meet in, <laughs> in the untimely ends. Yes, or yeah, in different circumstances well, in general. All of them have untimely ends. Patience lives a really long time. That's true. And so does Ketchikan. Yeah. And Fitz, well, technically Fitz dies, but... Yeah. (laughs) Celerity, I think, lives, but maybe she passes away. I think she's alive. I think she's alive in the last trilogy, so... Yeah. She might have died in the last trilogy, but, like, of old age, not anything... Well, she would have been, like, 60, so... She would have been younger. She would have been, like, 58 or 57 or something, because she's younger than Fitz, and Fitz is 60, I think, in the last one. It ends the series the same age as Shrewd. Like right now or yeah. something? Yeah, about that. Wild. But he was skill healed, um, so he looks like he's in his 40s. That's so like, perpetually. strange to me. In my mind, Shrewd is the Lord of the Ring king. I can't think of the White King, is that what his name is? I don't know, where he's like, <laughs> you know Denethor? Yes. Or, no, 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 that's the no. Theoden of Rohan. Yeah. When he's possessed like, by, you like, Saruman. No power here. Yeah. <laughs> that's shrewd in my mind. And I know. <laughs> I know. That'd be an okay shrewd, but not Jade. <laughs> no, not Jade, but, like, shrewd for sure, especially in the later parts of this book. Um, (laughs) you have no power here, Gandalf. Um, (laughs) But I forget that, like, he's not actually that old. 60 is not that old. No. So I don't know why my brain pictures him that way, but I don't know. Well, Theoden is also, like, he's possessed by Saruman, too. And Grima Wormtongue. (laughs) Galen? Yeah. Basically. Uh, that's how I picture Galen, though. That's like what Galen looks like in my mind. Anyway, we're not. Uh, that's a pretty good comparison, actually. I like that. Thank you. Visual thoughts. <laughs> but also, um, this email kind of goes into since they have these uh, extroverted, charismatic to abroad people and um, charismatic and internally charismatic, like one on one conversation people, who is alive during the this red ship war it's shrewd who is a one-on-one kind of person constance being able to as we've seen from the text rally the women's court around her uh-huh. and increase the role of women all over in buckkeep right 
Shrewd has always been kind of more devious and wants to deal in like the specifics, little right. little things, um, or the overall pulling of the strings. Regal could be held aside by Shrewd because Shrewd realizes that he has the ability to, be an you introvert. know, motivate the um, the people right. in a certain way, and he has the ability to influence. So he's like, oh, maybe he can do it because Verity is, you know kind of introverted yeah and one-on-one so no one is alive to rally the people which is kind of what we said in the queen awakes chapter which, yeah. which why shade is so happy with everything right because right. ketrakin well, is there and mm-hmm. is able to inspire well i think they also specifically point out that verity shade and shrewd are all people that are willing to do the behind the scene works that don't get as much praise not that that means that ketrakin or chivalry are out to do things to get recognition, but just that they don't mind that kind of work. Right. They're more comfortable in a setting where they're doing something that doesn't bring as much attention onto them. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I do like the, the model presented. Um, It, it is a, like they mentioned in here, it's an interesting thought exercise Mm -hmm. about what the ruling pairs of, the six duchies could do and what they did. Mm-hmm. But also I think it does break down once you consider there is nuance to all of these characters a little bit. Right. And some people were in situations that were not great in general for either ruling or for themselves. So, but I do like it quite a bit. Thank you so much for the email. Yes. I always love theories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or just philosophy about the rulers. Right. <laughs> like, I know. I'm here for all the tangents. I always feel a little bad whenever people message us on any platform because I feel like I always say, I love this idea so much. But it's true. I like all the ideas. I think they're all so fun. And I, I feel like I take like the opposite side and I'm really sorry <laughs> to everybody. Um, I don't mean to completely like dismiss. Yeah. Dismiss all the theories. I just... Going into all these books, loving them so much, I have a set idea in my mind, and I'm open to different things, but it has to, like, convince me. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think all the ideas are so fun. I think I told this to somebody who messaged us that um, I'm more of someone who is willing to fit mm-hmm. what I know around people's new ideas because I find them so interesting just to, um, what is there that supports your idea? I love this. Let me look into it. Whereas I think Luke has set ideas that you have to fit into his. I'm old and curmudgeonly and you yes. can't budge me in what I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm young and spry, <laughs> willing to go with the flow. No, but I we both do enjoy oh, yeah, hearing I, all the ideas. I love reading all the new theories and things like that. But whether I take them into my own headcanon or not is another story. So Oh, I love all of them and they all live in my heart. And I think all of you guys are so smart and fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing reading everything. Um, So keep sending them in. Thank you so much. And see you next week. Bye.